Today, we're gonna to talk about cardiorespiratory fitness. It is essential to reduce risk of coronary heart disease. So we're gonna talk about a couple of studies. They were from 2017. They highlight the importance of cardiorespiratory fitness. In this first study, they look at cardiorespiratory fitness and the triglyceride over HDL ratio as predictors of death from coronary heart disease. You can't have seen many videos on this channel without having seen the triglyceride over HDL. So these articles provide substantive evidence, which is what we do, on the importance of achieving moderate to high levels of cardiorespiratory fitness. When you see CRF on this set of slides, it's referring to cardiorespiratory fitness. The first study looked at men, and the second study looked at kids. So let's talk about the first study first. It was in Mayo Clinic proceedings. Moderate to high levels of cardiorespiratory fitness attenuate the effects of triglyceride to HDL lipoprotein cholesterol ratio on the coronary heart disease mortality in men. Again, way too technical. Don't let that confuse you and don't even worry about trying to put all that together. We'll show you a graph in just a second. It'll put everything together. One of the things that's interesting about this study is it comes from the Cooper Institute in Dallas. It may ring a bell. Ken Cooper wrote the book, Aerobics, the original aerobics when the jogging trend started. We're going to talk about that a little bit later too. But on this study, 40,269 men received a comprehensive physical exam between 78 and 2010. The exam included a treadmill exercise test and measurement of the triglyceride over HDL ratio. Participants were categorized into low, moderate, and high fitness groups, and then they started stratifying based on those. Regardless of whether the blood triglyceride over HDL ratio was low or high, having moderate to high level of fitness provided some protection from coronary heart disease when compared to having low levels of fitness. So if you look at this graph, I promise we would show a graph which explains the whole thing. Yellow is uh, high cardiorespiratory fitness. Again, as measured by the ability to get up there on a stress test. Blue is medium and red is low fitness. So the higher the bar, over here on the left-hand side, the vertical is the risk of coronary heart disease mortality, dying from a heart event. So as you see, whether your triglyceride over HDL ratio was low, 1.5 or less, they call that very low, but that's not very low. Most of my patients are able sooner or later to get to one or less. That's the target, that's the goal. And these higher numbers, as you can see, are significant risk numbers. Now, once you start start stratifying by triglyceride over HDL, you realize no matter what level of triglyceride over HDL you have, you're far better off if you're in good shape. Now, you may remember the video from Chuck Smith where he lost 50 pounds and then he had a heart attack. That was when he discovered our channel and started looking at that video on triglyceride over HDL ratio. Now, this doesn't happen to everybody. The goal is not to scare people off of plant-based diets. The goal is to help underline that there's more to cardiovascular risk sometimes than may seem. Chuck had lost a ton of weight. He thought he was in great shape. He had a heart attack, lost 50 pounds. Then he looked and he found that triglyceride over HDL ratio was seven when he was in the hospital 
for the heart attack. So as these go up, you know, the highest here is 3.9. You can imagine what triglyceride over, over HDL of seven would be in terms of risk. That's a side issue. Pardon me, went down another bunny hole. The real point here is no matter what your triglyceride over HDL ratio is, being in good cardiovascular conditioning helps. That was the study on men from the Cooper Institute. Let's talk about the study on kids for a second. This one is titled Cardiorespiratory Fitness Cutoff Points for Early Detection of Present and Future Cardiovascular Risk in Children. It had a two-year follow-up. In a 2013 study, researchers from Spain tested 213 primary school children, 6 to 10 years old, and followed them for a two-year period. The aims of the research were to study the association between cardiovascular fitness, or they're calling it CFR, and cardiovascular disease risk in children and to determine a possible cutoff point related to cardiovascular disease after two years for eight to 12-year-old children. Cardiorespiratory fitness was expressed as oxygen consumption value calculated from a shuttle run test. They looked at other data as well, skin fold thickness, blood pressure, triglyceride levels, HDL levels. So, and they're looking at triglyceride over HDL. They just didn't put them together. Glucose and insulin levels. Our cardiorespiratory fitness levels of at least 39, and we don't need to go deep into that, but at least 38 millimeters per kilogram for girls, 39 for boys. They were associated with a more favorable cardiovascular risk profile, six to 10 years in the two-year follow-up. Now, what does this tell us? Basically, a couple of things. Number one, cardiovascular risk exists in kids. Now, these are not deaths. These kids weren't dying from it. But what that's showing is, yes, as we know, the obesity epidemic is hitting our younger generation. It's impacting cardiorespiratory fitness. If a child has a problem with it today, they're much more likely to have a problem with it two years later. So that's the issue on kids. Now let's talk for a minute about a couple of issues with the study with men. Number one, we talked about Ken Cooper. You know, it's very interesting. I had done this analysis on this study before I recognized and realized that was Ken Cooper's Aerobics Institute. As I mentioned earlier, you know, it it gave me some perspective on the filters that we look at things from. So as I said, Ken Cooper wrote that original book, titled aerobics. He was all about jogging. Here's jogging, and it's different from what we're looking at today. I'm coming from a very different filter based on information and uh, evidence research, which has happened since the aerobics craze. Aerobics is just, you know, it's going a little bit faster than walking. Walking is very healthy for our health. And we do need a base of walking. But back in, in Ken Cooper's day, the perception was, well, you just need to jog. Go out there, go a little bit faster than walking. You should be able to talk while you're jogging. That's the kind of level they're talking about. There was no focus on high intensity intervals. There was no focus on really pushing your cardiovascular limits. There was no focus on resistance training. And you know what? That improved the health of a lot of people. But since that time, since 70s, 80s, 90s, that aerobics jogging craze, information has come out which indicates, you know what? It's a lot better in terms of insulin resistance pre-diabetes, cardiovascular risk, if you can do a couple of other things. In fact, I've got a video where we looked at a study done at Mayo Clinic where they actually took muscle samples of 20 to 30 year olds, 50 year olds, and 70 and 80 year olds. And the thing that really impacted the mitochondrial muscle mass was not jogging. It was 
most of all, high intensity intervals. And when you look at multiple sports, cycling, endurance sports, performance sports, you don't train for improved performance by just simply long, slow distance. That used to be the mantra back in the aerobics era, LSD, long, slow distance. Nobody's throwing that out. Nobody's throwing that under the bus, but we're realizing now you need to push your metabolism. You need to push it harder. In that Mayo Clinic study, for example, by far the biggest impact was in the 80-year-olds who were doing high-intensity intervals. Second place was resistance training, and aerobics was a distant third place in terms of developing mitochondrial muscle mass, which I think most of us would agree is a very desirable thing. So again, aerobics, jogging, that was a good thing that happened for the public's health, but we've got better stuff. We've got better evidence. I don't think anybody recommends throwing away walking or other types of low-level aerobics, but we need to add the interval training. We need to add that resistance training. You know, that gets to the number one cause, again, insulin resistance. Why does all this work? And why does all of the science for decades has shown if you get three good workouts per week, you really have a positive impact on your cardiovascular risk. Well, there's also another correlation to this three good workouts per week. One of the things that happens with muscles, and people find that when they use a freestyle Libre, if you have a blood sugar problem and you go on a carb vacation, you take some carbs, you have a pizza, for example. If you go out and just walk, a simple walk, you'll take the spike, the top right off of that spike. Now that happens because muscle activity bypasses those resistant insulin receptors. So if you can bypass those insulin receptors, then again, you're having a major impact on the number one cause of heart attack, stroke, and plaque, insulin resistance. So the focus is to get that blood sugar out of the blood and into the muscle. What we have found, and it correlates back to that three times per week, if it's a large muscle group, if it's intense exercise, this insulin-like effect can last for up to 48 hours. So 48 hours, three times a week, get that heavy workout in. Now, last point we're going to make about this is if this is so helpful, why is stress test not a great way to predict heart attack and stroke? Well, stress test does help. I mean, you can see here that being in good condition is a risk factor, so to speak, for being healthy. If you're in better condition, you are more likely to be healthy. But it's a long way, big, big difference to say cardiovascular conditioning decreases your risk than to say that something like a stress test, which gauges your cardiovascular conditioning, is going to predict heart attack or stroke. You know, you just have to look at cases like Tim Russert's and thousands of others where they did great. Russert was in very good cardiovascular condition, but he still had other stuff going on. So even though he was able to do well on his stress test, it did not predict the heart attack that killed him just a few weeks later. Now, why is that the case? This all gets back to that plumbing theory, the plumbing assumption for heart attack and stroke. Cardiologists do that. They assume that if you have a tight obstruction in an artery of the heart, you're going to have a heart attack. That's not the way this works. If it did, we would be able to predict heart attacks and we would be able to prevent them with things like stents 
and bypass grafts. If you've watched this channel anytime at all, you know that's the problem. It's not the plumbing theory. What we're looking for is soft plaque. In fact, way over half, two thirds of the people that have a heart attack have less than 50% obstruction of the flow in their heart. Now, what's that got to do with anything? It gets us back to the thing about stress test. You're not going to see anything on a stress test indicating risk for heart attack unless your arteries in your heart are blocked 50% or more. That's why a stress test can't predict a heart attack. So thank you so much for your interest. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.